Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's Mother's Day weekend, and well, we are tired. More tired than we've ever been. But as I sit here and reflect back on Mother's Day last year, the first one we had in this pandemic and in lockdown, I realize that I am a lot stronger than I thought I was, more determined than I thought I was, and that if I have made it this far, I can certainly make it a little bit further. For the record, though, we still want someone to give us a break on our special day. So from one weary mother to another, I am sending all moms listening to this week's show light, love, and a wish for a clean kitchen. My first guest also happens to be a mother. She is also a black Jewish woman leading a federal political party. As leader of the Green Party, Annamie Paul is not only passionate about the earth, but about social justice and women's issues. She's definitely one to watch as we move towards our next federal election. And Brody joins me with the sweetest Mother's Day documentary ever called Duty Free. She also shares details on Oxygen, a shocking sci-fi thriller that is definitely not for anyone who suffers from claustrophobia. Finally, she shares details on the hilarious self-help mockumentary called Reboot Camp, loaded with movie and TV star cameos. Do you adhere to best before dates? Lori Nickel from Second Harvest would like you to start ignoring those, please. With an astounding 58% of all the food produced for Canadians wasted, not a single person in this country, or globally for that matter, should be going hungry. Kathleen Donovan is a happiness expert, and that's just the kind of expertise many of us are seeking right now. Kathy's call to action to us is to unlearn what we think we know to be true, to stretch what's possible, so that we can see our true potential and to live a beautiful life of our own design. And yes, you can even pursue this in a pandemic. Crushing the patriarchy is on our minds and in our actions from marches and rallies to literature and politics. Gen Z, in particular, is claiming digital space to educate and empower women, and they are not letting the trolls deter them. Power to Her is an organization focused on empowering women within the community, and I am joined by founders Shuchi and Sakrit, who share their mission. Finally, Andriana Crawford is a Toronto-based yoga and meditation teacher, wellness entrepreneur, and writer. She created Black Yoga Society from her struggle to find Black-owned yoga studios, healing spaces, and esoteric products. Her goal is to promote well-being and self-care to BIPOC and beyond. She joins me to share her why and with some tips to stay calm in the chaos right now. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Seem to go that you don't know what 
Being a woman in politics comes with its challenges, but add in being a Black Jewish mother of two in the middle of a pandemic, and you might think it would seem impossible. Not for Annamie Paul, the leader of the Green Party of Canada since October of last year. She is an outspoken politician, activist, and lawyer. Annamie is passionate about Canada, the earth, and women's rights. Welcome to the show, Annamie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you. So those are a lot of challenges that I just, you know, sort of said in the intro there. Since October, what has been the biggest challenge for you? Oh, gosh, you know, it's different every day. There are no two days that are alike and they all come with their own challenges. I think the biggest challenge you you find is uh, the challenge of being uh, remaining flexible and adaptable uh, the challenge of, of managing to maintain your, your equilibrium and cool, even in the face of all of that change. That's probably, that's probably the biggest one. You know, you just have to accept that uh, every day is going to be different. Every day is going to come with its highs and lows. And uh, you have to, uh, you have to find a way to uh, be able to ride right out each one of them. So that, that definitely is the thing that I think that is tested most for, uh, people in politics and women in politics, and certainly it's been uh, it's been a big challenge for me. A lot of women are struggling with, you know, the the lockdown, and of course, all the hurdles that come with this and the extra load. How are you managing um, to take action? Because it must be frustrating. I mean, I read all about you leading up to this. You are a woman of action. So it must be frustrating for you not to be able to take it as immediately or quickly as you had in the past. How are you adapting to that? Well, you know, I, one thing that definitely uh, the pandemic has, has reminded us of is just how incredibly uh, adaptable humans are uh, and how we find a way to uh, turn, turn even, you know, difficult times into opportunities if we're given half a chance. And that's been the case for me. I mean, this is definitely, there's no question that being a politician and being a new one is something that, uh, you know, would definitely benefit from, uh, from not, uh, from not, uh, not being in lockdown, you know, I mean, there's no question that, it would be very useful to be out and about in the community, getting to know people uh, person to person. It's still the best way. Um, at the same time, you know, we weren't going to let this, let that uh, slow us down too much. And we've worked really, really hard uh, over the last six months. And even before that in the leadership race and trying to figure out every single way to use all the new tools, all the new technology um, that's available to us, all of our creativity uh, to connect with people and uh, to keep the work going. And so we, you know, we just had a, our campaign launch. Uh, it was virtual. We didn't want it to be. We had um, hoped until uh, the last second that we could have it uh, in person, uh, but we still made it a very, very uh, exciting and intimate and interesting affair. Uh, it took a lot more thought, I think, than if we'd been able just to get together in person, but uh, it was still pretty special. So that's really the thing, you know, it's, it's really about figuring out uh, how you're going to keep going and, and keep talking about the things that matter and keep connecting with people, even uh, under these restrictions. So speaking of the things that matter, then let's get right to the environment. Do you think the pandemic is overshadowing the urgency of the environment right now? And how do we get people to understand that they are related? 
I think that the that the pandemic has helped people to understand how how we are um, connected to the earth and how we're connected to the natural world. You know, people understand that uh, that this pandemic and other ones that we have had in the past uh, have been transferred to humans from animals, and they've been um, they've been um, transferred because of our increasing encroachment on the natural world and environmental degradation and. <clears throat> they're happening more frequently because of that too. Uh, so in that respect, you know, the, the interconnectedness of things, I think, is really on display for people now, the way that the things that happen half a world away can have an impact on us here. So in a way that has helped people to, to understand that, uh, that the climate uh, is something that has a direct impact on our health and taking care of the, the planet and the natural world will have a direct impact on our, on our health. Uh, and so I've been, I've been really encouraged uh, to see that even during the pandemic with the polls that have been done and the focus groups that have been done, I mean, not by us, but just in general by, um, by the, polling, um, um, the polling agencies, that uh, the climate has stayed very high on people's agendas. You know, it's, it's definitely here to stay, I think, the understanding that we have this challenge, we've got to face it together. And I believe people feel empowered uh, by how quickly we responded to the pandemic and this emergency. Uh, they, they're empowered with the knowledge that if we want to, we can respond as quickly and decisively on this challenge too. So that's something that we can take out of the pandemic to really help us get to work. I think there are people who, who are hesitant to embrace a green party because they think it will come at the detriment to their lifestyle. So what would a green, what does a green economy look like? Well, first I would say the, the worst uh, threat to uh, our continued quality of life in Canada and our lifestyles uh, is the, uh, is uh, the climate emergency. It's uh, the climate emergency is something that's called a, a threat uh, multiplier and um, security analysts all over the world, if you ask them what the number one uh, threat multiplier right now is, uh, it's uh, the climate. It's the thing that is most likely to, um, uh, to uh, damage our economies, damage uh, our job market, uh, you know, ruin our homes, uh, create the kind of uh, extreme weather events that make certain parts of the country and the planet unlivable. Uh, and so this is the reason, for instance, that President Biden on his first day in, in office, um, he appointed a climate czar and he, he declared the climate um, a national security threat. So if we want to maintain our, our excuse me, our quality of life, and, and we, we certainly do, uh, this is an extraordinary opportunity that we have uh, right now coming up. Uh, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of money to stimulate our economy and all over the world, our, our global uh, partners, uh, you know, the leading global economies, they're investing more than a third of that money in a green recovery because it's a huge economic opportunity. Uh, it's one, you know, just uh, one sector of it, the clean tech sector, for instance, is estimated um, to be worth over $3 trillion by 2030. So if we can just even get our piece of that, uh, we're really setting ourselves up for the kind of jobs, the kind of, of um, economic sectors, leadership and economic sectors that have a real future. Uh, and so if we invest now in things like renewable energy, uh, if we invest in uh, clean technology, if we invest in infrastructure like charging stations and a national 100% renewable electricity grid, 
we really could be one of the most competitive economies in, in the world in terms of the green economy. And green, the green sector, it creates more jobs per million dollars invested, uh, twice as many as uh, the fossil fuel sector. And these jobs are very transferable. So you don't need a whole bunch of retraining to do them and they pay more. So this is just such exciting news. And it's the reason the U.S. is, is getting behind it and the European Union and China and Japan, uh, because, you know, there's basically a green rush going on right now. Who's going to be first in line for the economic prosperity that uh, a green economy can bring? When you, as a woman on the ground, then in politics, are you encouraged or disheartened by the number of women in politics right now? Well, there are more women in politics now than, uh, than there, there ever have been, um, just in general. Um, in Parliament, we hit the 100-woman uh, mark, which was definitely a, um, a good day for, for women uh, across the country. Uh, that being said, what, what concerns me is that we have actually slipped back quite a lot in terms of women uh, leading um, leading political parties, women leading governments in Canada. Uh, there was a time when we were almost at parity in terms of the number of uh, women premiers that we had, for instance. And now, you know, out of the 10 uh, provinces and three territories, there is only one woman. So one woman out of those 13 roles. Uh, at, the, at the federal level, there's only one party that is being led by a woman that has seats in parliament. And we still have uh, um, we still have parties in Parliament that have never been led by a woman. You know, the Liberal Party has never been led by a woman. The Conservatives have only had one. One. The Bloc has never had one either. Uh, so you know, the further up we go in politics, you know, this glass ceiling thing is real. It's real. Uh, the further up we go, uh, the less women we see. And this this is something that every Canadian should be concerned about because. We have a lot to offer. Our perspective is incredibly valuable in developing public policy. And if we're not there at the highest level, then that's something that we're missing out on when we're developing our laws. Uh, we don't want to miss out on that. You know, it's, uh, it's, just, a, it's just a key part of um, making sure you have a healthy democracy, making sure you have a lot of women involved in politics. Well, I know women are passionate about the environment. I think you're absolutely incredible enemy. If people want to connect with you, uh, join the Green Party, volunteer, uh, run for office, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, I want to get in touch with them as much as they want to get in touch with me. And so we're working really hard to open up as many possible avenues for that to happen. We have this very exciting campaign uh, that we launched uh, a few months ago called Time to Run where we're trying to attract that new generation of politicians. Uh, you know, all of those women, for instance, that are out there just getting it done. You know, and this is really the way for so many women. You're just out there doing this incredible work on behalf of your community, on behalf of your neighbors, uh, in your professional life. And you're not doing it with a lot of fuss or fanfare. But that's what leadership looks like. That's really the kind of leadership we need right now. And so we've been telling those people, uh, nominate yourself uh, to, to run for us or tell us about an incredible person that you think should be, uh, should be running uh, for us in the next election. And the response has been incredible. We've had hundreds and hundreds of, of people uh, respond to that, but that's a very easy way. And you can just go to our greenparty.ca website and click on time to run and you'll get all the information there. Uh, if you click on, if you click on um, our, 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 if you go to our website, you can immediately click on buttons. 
that tell you how to volunteer, that tell you how to donate, that tell you how to get involved. Uh, so it's it's uh, uh, greenparty.ca. We uh, we revamped our website. We're continuing to revamp it, but there are at least five different ways that you can um, contact us and be sure of getting a response uh, within a few days. So you know we really want to hear from you. Uh, you know, as I I want to do my part to make sure the par um, parliament is as diverse as possible and bring some amazing women into politics come next election. So. Uh, reach out to us anytime and we're, we'll be really happy to hear from you. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It has been a pleasure. That's what she said. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, we're going to Sesame Street. Oh, yay. Can you tell me how to get there? <laughs> how we got to Sesame Street is a brand new documentary on the roots and uh, the ideals and the aspirations of the show that everybody loves. I mean, I have friends my age who just they just they're so nostalgic for it. And in the early days, how it introduced audiences to something completely different learning-based television for children, television that didn't talk down to them. And we meet all the characters and, and how they came into being. And it's just really a spirit lifter. It's just wonderful. I loved it. You know, you think about things like in our in our society that leave a mark on us. And, and Sesame Street, yeah. like with Mr. Rogers, it's, it's the same sort of, it's left that indelible mark on us. And so we carry exactly. it our whole lives. Yes. I mean, that music just makes you feel happy, right? The theme song. Oh, absolutely. And, you, and you're invested in the, uh, the characters. So it's yeah. really uh, a delightful uh, documentary for people to watch. I do want to yeah. talk about another documentary that you have on the list this week called Duty Free. My heart was just busting with this one. I know. This wonderful woman, she's 75 years old. She's an executive housekeeper at a hotel in Boston. And uh, she's done it with pride and, and extremely well her entire life, having after she came to America um, as a young immigrant. She has two young boys. She had two young boys and she was abandoned and she had to work all this time. Anyway. She also looks after her schizophrenic son. Her other son is a MTV journalist. And uh, so anyway, one day she's fired and the world falls out from under her. So her reporter's son comes to Boston and helps her try to figure out what to do with her life. Also, the, this place is given her an apartment rent free. So now she has nowhere to live and she has $600 in the bank at 75. So uh, he he takes her on lovingly as his as his uh, not burden but as his responsibility, and he also creates a bucket list for her that takes them to, uh, around the world. Honestly, 
this boy loves his mother so much. And she's such a, an interesting character. She's got that British stiff upper lip and, you know, let's get this done kind of thing. And then these moments of sadness are, are quite profound. It's really, it's another heart lifting one. Yeah, it's a wonderful tribute to motherhood, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yes, yes. All right, let's talk about Oxygen. I, I honestly, the trailer, oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a little bit claustrophobic. So when you sent that, I was like, oh, I don't think I can watch this one. <laughs> All right, I'm going to set you up. You can plug your ears, but I'll tell the audience. We open up and Melanie de Laurent, famous French actress, she's tied up, wrapped up completely in a sort of plastic stuff in this tiny pod. And she's tearing her way out of it and screaming, oh God, it's just your heart. I can't imagine. And the first thing I thought of was I couldn't be an actor and do that kind of thing. Um, so she, it's a mystery why she's there. She doesn't know why somebody did this to her. And over the course of the film, we learn what exactly the situation is. Now she was a chirogenic scientist. So she looked at uh, preserving people after their death. So it all ties in together and it, and it makes you wonder once again, do we belong in space? I mean, it's, it's just the problems that could be faced there. Well, you know what makes me kind of laugh about this movie is I feel like the last 15 months have been, I've been white knuckling <laughs> through the last 15 months as it is. Do I need something that really is going to add to that anxiety? I don't know, but this is on Netflix for those who are, can't get enough of that, uh, that I guess intense feeling. There's more for them, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, there's, there's a lot of other stuff, but this is an intense slog. So there you go. All right. Go. Anything yeah. else we can't miss this weekend? Uh, Reboot Camp is hilarious. It's a couple of brothers who uh, set up a pretend self-help guru village where people come to do all their new age stuff and heal. It's all fake. He pretends he's this guru from Quebec and living in LA. And uh, um, he, did, he, he doesn't charge them, which is one good thing. And he doesn't separate them from the family. But you see the kind of nonsense that people will buy into hook, line and sinker. Uh, it's rather astonishing. And then Oh, it, there's such a twist at the end. I was going to blurt it out, but I won't do that. Reboot Camp is fantastic. Yeah, so. I laughed out loud at the part where it said people don't realize they're in a cult until the last 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's very cultish, uh, obviously, uh, this mockumentary that they've made. Uh, so for all of this and more, people can go to whatshesaidtalk.com. You're going to be back next week with more. Um, and Anne, thank you again for helping us fill our weekends. Yay. Talk to you next week. When is the last time you took a good look at how much food you waste? As CEO for Second Harvest, Canada's largest food rescue organization, Lori Nickel thinks about food waste a lot and is on a mission to ensure we all take a closer look. 
Second Harvest ensures over 20 million pounds of nutrient-dense surplus food is diverted to nonprofit organizations every year. I spoke with Lori a year ago as the pandemic just started, and I thought it would be a good time to check in and see things how, how things have changed or not. Welcome to the show, Lori. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So it's been a year. <sighs> what a year it's been. Where, where are you at in, in things? Have things gotten better, uh, worse? Not better, <laughs> sadly, for sure, uh, in, in a couple of ways, right? So we're second harvest and we capture that surplus food and we really believe in the environmental imperative of keeping it out of landfill. But also we work with uh, 60,000, there are 60,000 charities across Canada and we work with as many as possible to get good food to them. And what we are noticing is that there is absolutely an increase in the number of people that need food support. And because we're unique in that we do perishable healthy food, like those are the hardest foods to access. And so the increase is, is considerable. And, and that's a result of COVID, but also just the back, like the up and down of the economy opening and closing. And so even just, just that kind of stilted way of, of it being managed is not allowing people to plan. It's not allowing businesses to plan. So what we've seen is people getting laid off, coming back, getting laid off, and not being able to plan properly. That's also increased the amount of food loss and waste that's happening across the supply chain in food service. So a lot of these food services, when they start to open again, they they put out their purchase orders, and then boom, they're closed again. So it's been it's been trying. You rely on those businesses to uh, give you their surplus, correct? And if they're closed, then you're not getting that surplus? Well, we are, no, it, because we work across the supply chain from far, from farm right all the way to food service, we're getting it at every point across the supply chain. So it just means we're actually getting it earlier. So we're getting it directly from fisheries as opposed to the surplus food that might be at a, a food service or a restaurant or something. So it's, it's, we're still getting it, but you know, we're all about prevention first. So let's not produce this food if, if it can't be sold and, and used for the intended purpose of, of selling it so people can eat it. Let's just not produce it. There's more than enough food to feed everybody, right? Like there's 58% of all the food produced for Canadians, including imports, is lost or wasted in this country. Yeah, I think we've got some real systems issues that needs to be addressed and they've changed a bit as a result of COVID, but the systems issues, they're still there from people. 58%. That's staggering. Staggering and so unnecessary. And I think 32% of that is a completely avoidable. It's food that you and I would be eating, should be eating. And it's great, healthy food, food that often it has never even hit retail. So I have to tell you, there's a couple of two things since we spoke last year that have changed in my life. The first one is best before dates. Ah. I've stopped looking at them. I've Good. stopped looking at them. I smell it. I taste it uh, before I toss it. I, I love you for that. That's fantastic. It's so critical that we all do that. Best before dates are not about food safety. They are not uh, CFI A compliant. There's only five foods that expire in Canada. Don't eat those ones. But the rest, they're best before and they're conservative. So yay you. <laughs> and the other one I'm going to tell you we spoke about this before this interview started is when I see people joking around now like oh I bought all this spinach with every intention of eating it and then they toss it I get annoyed 
I get seriously annoyed now because I know that that's just waste in a the packaging that it came in, because let's face it, a lot of these foods come in in wasteful packaging. Um, and the second thing is, is that food really uh, could have went to better use, right? Uh, of course. I mean, nobody produces food, no farmer produces food for it to go in the garbage. They want us to eat it. And so that is the very least we can do is eat the food. So what is the biggest challenge for Second Harvest then right now? Well, as a result of COVID, we had to expand nationally really, really quickly. And so part of that is through our food rescue, Second Harvest Food Rescue app, which connects directly charities and nonprofits to food businesses. Um, but in doing that, there's been a there's huge amounts of food, as I've, we've spoken about many times. So much food. So we're getting calls for many tractor trailer loads full of one product. And so it's really about that third party distribution that is, is our biggest challenge right now. So if we have a whole bunch of food in Alberta, let's say, but organizations can only take three or four skids at a time, how do we then make sure that we can get it to where it needs to go? And also we're working in remote Northern communities and that's really expensive. So sending even a tractor trailer load of food up into the far North of Northwest territories is $85,000, $85,000. Like that's, should be criminal, but it is what it is, right? So that's that's a struggle for us is making sure we can get that food out there. We're doing it, but that's a struggle for sure. Okay, I want people to be able to connect with you, volunteer with you, donate money, uh, just generally know more about you. So where can they find you? You can find us at secondharvest.ca. Uh, you can always find me personally on my own social media challenge, uh, challenge <laughs> channels at, uh, on LinkedIn. It's Lori Nichols, same with uh, Instagram and Facebook, or just type in second harvest and you'll find all of our, our social channels. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. This is fun. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. would be hard pressed to find a woman anywhere in Canada right now who hasn't been engaging in some serious self-reflection. Being locked in a home for over a year can do that to you. Thankfully, happiness expert Kathy Donovan is here to help us figure out what really matters. A celebrated speaker, coach, and broadcaster, she is also the author of two self-published books, Inspiration in Action, A Woman's Guide to Happiness, and Unconform, Harnessing the Radical Power of Courage. Kathy's call to action to us is to unlearn what we think we know to be true, to stretch what's possible, so that we can see our true potential and to live a beautiful life of our own design. Kathy, that pretty much sounds like perfection to me. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Candice. It's an honor to be with you today. So I think we can both agree that the last, you know, year has been pretty challenging for people. What would you say to people who might push back on you a little bit and say, I have nothing to be happy about? 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are living in what I consider to be a secondary pandemic, the pandemic of fear. There's so much fear because we know so little about anything right now. We've lost our liberties. We've lost our routine. We've lost our connection with friends and family in many ways. And it's very easy to become despondent. It really is so easy to just shut it down and buy into that fear pandemic. But my job <laughs> as what I call a happiness expert, which is really um, the idea of happiness for me is focusing on what's inside of you, not looking at anything outside of you to define how you feel. So happiness to me starts with being grateful. And while today we may have lost our liberties and our connections and our routine, going to the gym or going out to the bars, whatever is your lifestyle or was your lifestyle before, you could look around right now and I could challenge you, Candice, just to look around where you're sitting right now and find three things to be grateful for. And anytime our thinking mind, that beautiful process in our brain that comes up with all the fear thoughts, anytime it wants to deliver some of that, I suggest people pivot and look for what they have to appreciate. This starts us down a track of really being present in our lives and recognizing that while it is a challenging time, there's no question, we still, as long as we have breath, have many, many things to be grateful for. And that is not airy-fairy. That is science. We're talking neuroscience. We're talking helping our brain to develop new neural pathways that are outside the mainstream message, which is fear. Does that make sense? Oh, to me, it makes perfect sense. Trust me. I go to bed every night. I close my eyes and I say, thank you, universe four. And I rhyme off as much as I can before I fall asleep. And the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I say, thank you, universe four. And I rhyme off as many things as I can before I put my feet on the ground. That has become for me over the last year, a real grounding thing to stay focused. I don't think it's toxic positivity. I think it's just focusing on what there is something to be grateful for. And believe me, I have many things I could be very uh, angry about, uh, but yeah. I'm not going to focus on those and let it, it lead my life. So do you get pushback from people though? Uh, I, I mean, how do you get people unstuck from a negative cycle? Well, it, it's everything's a process, right? We, we have to be willing to shift out thinking that doesn't serve us. So for me, complaining is a beautiful signal that something's ready to go. Whatever it is you're complaining about is an indication to you that you're ready to grow in some way. And it's up to you when you make that choice to shift out what isn't serving you so that you can create space in your life to invite in what is going to serve you. Do I get pushback? I don't care. I'm not here to convert people. I'm, not, I'm just telling you, my experience over the last 20 years has shaped me into a happiness expert. I was a misery expert for many, many years, Candace. I was so unhappy as a child. I had a tough time. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. I was terrified of everything and everybody. I wet my pants till I was 14 and on and on. Got into drugs, sex, all the things early, looking for love in all the wrong places. And it took me a long time to figure out that my thoughts, just like your thoughts, have a lot of power. And my thoughts were creating my reality. So it's up to you. That's your choice at your time when you feel it 
to decide, am I going to stay in this limited box of thinking I know everything and thinking I always have to be right about everything? Or am I going to expand my awareness and look at the power of things like gratitude and kindness and forgiveness and having healthy boundaries? These are the things I teach people to help them shift the focus of their thoughts and attention to really tap into their true power. Because when we start to look at personal development and getting into things like gratitude and building on courage on top of that, we have to be you know, aware of the fact that we are changing who we are. We're going to be very different on the other side of that process once these habits become ingrained. It takes time, but once we practice with these ideas, just like you doing gratitude at night and in the morning, the best gift you could ever give yourself something so simple but it shifts everything and how you see your life and how you experience your day and because your thoughts are focusing on appreciation you'll notice more and more in your life to appreciate that's just a fact it's pretty impressive and one of the things I like that you mentioned is that, you know, boundaries are a superpower. And this is something I think a lot of people, when they do find they shift into that attitude of gratitude, uh, that they get pushback from people in their life. It's that misery loves company scenario, right? Misery is no longer happy around you. Uh, and you, you're going to have to really uh, own those boundaries. So how yeah. do you help people uh, define them and hold on to them? It's a good question because, you know, one of the things about life that we're not conditioned to understand, I say conned because we are conned into thinking that once we, you know, once we have a, let's say a favorite type of music, a favorite political party, maybe even a favorite religion, that that's it. We're good to go. And that's where we stay. That's the lane we chose. That's where we need to be. But really the truth of it is as human beings, we are born to grow and expand and learn and never stop growing, expanding and learning. There's nothing wrong with so-called changing your mind, quote unquote. I say just shifting, growing. So when you start to shift and grow, you're going to find things are not aligned. And that includes people and situations that may not be aligned with who you are becoming. And so I recommend people on the ongoing do editing of their contacts, of their Facebook people, of their, you know, who's in their inner circle. Take a look at who lifts you up, who's there for you, who's going on the ride with you, and who's not. Anybody who wants to sabotage just can't be welcome anymore if what you want is to feel better in your life and really live to your full potential. You have to edit out the people who sabotage and bring you down so that you can create space for relationships that are aligned with who you are becoming. I really like that you touched on social media there too, because I think social media is key in a lot of people's life, particularly young people's lives. And we need to create that space where we recognize when something I, and I'm not a fan of this word, but for lack of a better word, when something triggers you, you know, you need to notice sometimes I, I know I'll be in a great mood sometimes and I'll come across something on social media and suddenly my mood's not so great. I've become much more aware of recognizing what about that upset me? Uh, mm. Not necessarily the person, but what about the post was what, what got to me on that and, and sort of weeding that out of my life. Do you help people figure that out as well? I think it, it becomes an extension because when we get clear about who we are in terms of focusing on gratitude, building on courage, then surrendering the stories that don't serve 
what we're doing, where we're going today, then finding kindness and compassion, having healthy boundaries. When we start to put all of these, I like to think of them as kind of Lego pieces fitting together. Um, we have to recognize that's our lane now. That's where we are. And we can't allow others to take us out of our lane. It's so tempting because again, we're conditioned, I say con, into comparing ourselves with other people. It's ridiculous. Or defining ourselves by the number of likes we get on a post. That makes no sense whatsoever. If what you want is to be happy, you've got to find that inside yourself and let others do what they do. Now, it's still very easy to get triggered because we all have an ego. And our ego is looking for fuel all the time. It loves to be right, it loves to feel special, or it loves to be miserable. And any one of those things are just a reminder that your ego is a little bit active. You can say, you know, thank you very much for reminding me that, you know, I don't need to be feeling badly because Betty Sue got a Mercedes and I got a, you know, Volvo or whatever, uh, or I don't have a car. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm back in my lane. I'm going to get back in my lane. And nobody, nobody, once you find your lane, nobody can take that away from you. That is you and yours. And that's your personal happiness. It is work, Candace. It takes practice. Um, but I know because of my own experience and all the people I've coached and taught that it is work worth doing. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Kathy. I, I think this is something we all really need to be working on for our own personal group growth, every single person out there. So I want them to connect with you and find you. Um, where can they do that? KathyDonovan.com, K-A-T-H-I-E, Donovan.com is my website. And you can just hit the contact and send me a little message or we can connect on Instagram. I'm at Kathy underscore Donovan and also on Facebook at Kathy Donovan Personal Development. Incredible. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. the last year has done anything, it's brought about a feminist mobilization across all cultural and generational divides. Crushing the patriarchy is on our minds and in our actions, from marches and rallies to literature and politics. Gen Z, in particular, is claiming digital space to educate and empower women, and they are not letting the trolls deter them. Power to Her is an organization focused on empowering women within the community. Founders Suchi Jain and Satrit Jahal are graduates of the IBBA program from the Schulich School of Business and are using nonprofit organization to help women worldwide using digital media platforms like TikTok and Instagram to get their message out. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. <laughs> So I, I found you on TikTok. I'm obsessed with TikTok. I spend way too much time there. Uh, <laughs> fell in love with your videos. You're bold. You're unapologetic. And you're really crushing it with the message. So how did this all come to be? I think it just started from the fact that we really wanted to come together to form an organization where we could talk about these issues and we thought that the best way to reach an audience within COVID, within quarantine, where everyone is so locked up in their homes, is through the power of TikTok. Like TikTok is right now the platform that is getting the most views, 
it's getting reaching the most people through video content shares. So we really wanted to enable a lot of people to be able to reach us and reach our content through TikTok. So I know that you must, though, be getting the pushback from the trolls and the threats and you know, this toxic masculinity that seems to also be running rampant through TikTok. How do you deal with that? So for us, um, of course, as a feminist organization, that was something that we were expecting right from the get-go. Uh, but when we started, Sajrita and myself, we were very passionate about this and, you know, facts don't lie. So of course, there are going to be people who are going to push back and but they don't know what they're talking about. So it's our for us, it's our job to educate these people, get the content, get the um, facts out there. And for people who'd like to grow, they'll come back and they'll engage with our content for the people who just don't want to. They're, they're always going to stay that way. So, you know, we like to not really focus on the people who um, don't appreciate the facts and like to live in that world. But it's just about like keeping um, keep going. Right. So that's kind of how we do it. So I would like to think, I mean, let's forget about the trolls. Trolls will be trolls and they're just, you're not going to, you're not going to convince them. Mm -hmm. What I am find interesting is that there are still young women who think that feminist is the worst F word around. (laughs) How are you, uh, how are you relating to them? I think, um, and we talk about this all the time the word feminist and feminism as general, in general, as a movement, has such a negative connotation attached to it due to the fact that people aren't educated on what it really means. There's so many different varieties of feminism and people come on and say, well, I don't really appreciate this modern feminism. And I think at the end of the day, our job as an organization is to educate them on what feminism really stands for. Because again, there's so many things out there that aren't feminist, that aren't feminist, but they claim to be. So we want to make sure that we're setting uh, setting the tone straight when we're educating others on what the movement is really about and what feminism and being a feminist really means. So in this time that you have been running power to her, uh, have you amassed uh, volunteers, people who have joined the organization with you to help you? So currently um, we have a team, uh, a very small team. We started off as just uh, Satrita and myself. It's only been around five months, um, but we have amazing photographers, videographers, uh, a graphic designer, and then an executive director that sort of um, accompanies us in all of our ordeals. Um, But we try to keep it small or we have it small right now, but we'll definitely be looking to grow in the future. Okay. And so what is the ultimate goal then for Power to Her? Do you want to, okay, I'll take it. Um, (laughs) The ultimate ultimate goal for Power to Her. Well, uh, Sujith and myself, we dream very big. Uh, We, our ultimate goal is to be working alongside the UN, hopefully partnering up with them to help with um, education for uh, girls in third world countries, things like um, prison reform. And also another big thing that we're very passionate about uh, is, um, rape culture within um, Asian countries and domestic violence, things like that. But honestly, our biggest thing is uh, once COVID, you know, goes away, we want to be, be uh, we want to be on the front lines making that change and um, really be making an impact. And we always say to each other that even if we're able to um, impact 
even one woman's life uh, positively, our goal is complete. Uh, we just want to be like help women. Well, you have my complete support. That's what she said is all about. Uh, for me, everything, everything in the world to me comes back to education of women. Uh, that is every problem comes back to educating women. So for me, that's everything. I'm so glad to hear that uh, is your goal as well. If people want to contact you, if they want to volunteer with you, join your cause, where can they go? So you can find us on, across all platforms with the at, at power.to.her, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, and if you'd like to email us, you can head over to our website, powertoher.org. Um, there's a form there you can fill it out or email us. Our DMs are always open. We're going to be releasing volunteer opportunities soon and actually opportunities on our team. So head over and um, send us a message. We're always opening to, open to hearing from you guys. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. It's been such an honor. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Andriana Crawford is a Toronto-based yoga and meditation teacher, wellness entrepreneur, and writer. In May 2020, she created Black Yoga Society from her struggle to find Black-owned yoga studios, healing spaces, and esoteric products. Her goal is to promote well-being and self-care to BIPOC and beyond. Andriana, it's a delight to have you here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So tell me, why was it so important for you to create this space? Well, I have been doing yoga for 10 years. Um, I started when I was in high school and I realized I got to a point where I'm like, I've only had three like black yoga teachers ever, probably like five people of color yoga teachers. And I'm just like, there has to be more out there. And all the ones that I've had have been like substitutes for um, other teachers, like didn't even have full-time positions. So I'm just like, okay, there must be <laughs> more of these teachers out there. So instead of like trying to go out to find them, I'm like, let me see if I create this online space and they come to me. Um, so that's kind of how Black Yoga Society came to be, just from like my passion of doing yoga and really wanting to connect with like-minded people. And I ended up um, doing my own yoga teacher training. And yeah, since then, it just kind of <laughs> blew up in uh, about a year now. We're just hitting our year mark in this month. So yeah, it, it was a crazy ride just from uh, and what know, a time trying to find these people. What a time to be starting a business. You're a year, you're <laughs> yeah. a year into this. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I have One to of the, say, like, craziest times. But I do have to say, what it's also a very opportune moment in time to be starting a business that is centered on wellness, well-being. Yeah, like it wasn't even. I didn't even start it to be a business. I just started it to be like a community space, 
And then I just ended up seeing like all these holes within the wellness industry of just finding these teachers, of finding um, like yoga mats made by black people, yoga supplies made by black people. I'm like, why is this so hard to find? So that's why I kind of grew into something more when I just like started this. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many holes everywhere in this industry of just trying to find, you know, what you're looking for. And so do you find now that people are coming to you as opposed oh, to yeah. you going to find them? Yeah, it's been so great because I've met so many local Black yoga teachers. I've met some, so many in like the States. I've met one from like Uganda, met some from Ghana, like all over the world, Jamaica. And I'm Jamaican. So I was like, oh, let me come visit. Um, so I'm you can run a, a yoga workshop so on the more. beach. Honestly, I thought of it because I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that'd be so calming. I would like uh, an invite, please, when that happens. <laughs> so let's talk then a little bit about people right now. Any advice? Because I have been asking, I've had a lot of wellness experts, a mm. lot of people, uh, you know, trying to help people stay focused. We are, we're being unraveled really at this point. Yes. So any advice for people right now? I would say, I mean, just know that everyone is dealing with this, even people within the wellness space and the fitness space. Um, and I could say the best advice that I got is treat yourself like you would a friend. So what you would tell a friend who's feeling that way, try and speak to yourself in that same loving, compassionate way and just be patient with yourself. We just think like, oh, I need to oh, the, everything's closed. So I should be like, you know, my book should be done and everything should be done and everything should be going so well. But like, why do I have energy or the focus to do anything? It's because we're, you know, our emotions are going up and down every other day. And you just need to be really, really patient with yourself. Show yourself self-love and self-compassion. Take breaks, turn your devices off at some point and just take time for you. (laughs) That's a really hard thing to do at this time. And just like, you know, kind of, go in and really just like listen to yourself and, you know, know that you don't have to get everything done. (laughs) So I do want you to speak to, we have, we don't have a ton of time yet left, but I do want to talk to you a little bit. I would like you to share your thoughts on the strong black woman, which is, you you hear about this all the time. So what would you say to that woman who's listening right now? (laughs) Strong black woman, myself, the woman in my family, the woman in my circle, I would just say, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be taken care of. It's okay to show other emotions (laughs) and it's okay to not be strong. It's totally fine to feel how you feel. You don't have to mask or hide your feelings, especially now (laughs) in this moment, you need to process them. You need to go through them because you just harbor it and harboring emotions is not good for your mental health or your physical health, really, because that leads to stress in the body, which is the root to many um, diseases and issues. So that's definitely what I would give. Wish I told myself that like five years ago. (laughs) So I want people to be able to connect with you then, Andriana. So where can they find you? So they can find me uh, blackyogasociety.com, at blackyogasociety on Instagram and on Facebook, and BLK Yoga Society on Twitter. And if you want my personal uh, website, it is andrianacrawford.com and at Hello Andriana on every social media. 
<laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.